1: What up? This is Myron and you are listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast. The alternative underground back alley, underbelly, secret society, speak easy, down on the docks, on the other side of the tracks, dive bar style podcast of and about and surrounding the Seattle Mariners that you are listening to on the Odyssey app or wherever else you're getting that hot podcast action from. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't be shy. Say hello by writing us a review. And you know we like five-tool baseball players on this podcast, but you know what we like more than that? Five-star review. So hit us with that five-star review. Anyways, we hope you are enjoying your President's Day weekend and maybe getting caught up on the last few episodes of the Rye Bread Mustard and Mariners podcast. And today's episode is our full conversation with Mariners public address announcer, Tom Hutler, that's right. The man that's been holding this job down since 1987. We're talking Kingdome days. We're talking Safeco Field days. We're talking now, T-Mobile Park. This guy's been holding this job down for... This is going to be going into his 37th season, if I'm using my Ballard High School math right. He's also been a Seattle radio fixture for over 40 years. We're talking Cube 93, KPLZ, Como News... And you can catch him every morning on Seattle Radio Northwest News, 97.7 FM or AM 1000. And this was like a real special time for Hannah and myself to sit down and talk with Tom. He was so gracious with his time. You know, in in this conversation, he gives us some like personal stories, you know, about Dave Niehaus, the Kingdom Days, his Hall of Fame experiences with Griffey and Edgar, you know, his approach to you know what he does behind the mic up there in the booth talks about some of his favorite players he's seen and even uh touches on the macklemore louis louis -Louis seventh inning stretch debate and we just talk about his history in radio and of course in public address announcing Uh, we recorded this episode at murphy's pub in wallingford on 45th which is the oldest still operating irish bar in all of seattle shout out to shelly the owner of Murphy's also shout out to Daniel the bartender that you know got us to come into Murphy's to do a podcast episode where we met Shelly who Shelly introduced us to Tom and Now you got this episode. Anyways, uh, check out Tom also on March 25th with his band High Cheese. They're going to be playing at Murphy's. So make sure to get down there and check that out. That's basically like his spring training. A little warming up those vocals before he's uh, out there going, Julio Rod. Rod." Okay, look, I'm not going to butcher it. Well, anyways, I'm going to shut the hell up. So you can get into today's special blowout President's Day edition episodes one and two all put together full episode here with our special guest mariners public address announcer the great tom hutler that's gonna start right now
2: get ready to play hardball in the kingdom take me to the ball game i want to see
1: the
0: end. the mariners are
1: playing hardball did it again and again
2: Princess Tours, the vacation company, brings you the best show in baseball when the San Diego Chicken plays hardball with the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the Kingdom.
1: And just like you probably heard in the intro, we are extremely excited. Hannah's even a little bit nervous here with our guest. We have the one and only, the voice of God. (laughs) According to the Akron Beacon Journal... And me, Mr. Tom Hutler. How are you doing? Doing well, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah. uh, So uh, let's just get, let's jump right out of the gate. How are you feeling about uh, this year's uh, team?
2: Uh, I'm really excited and optimistic as I am every year, as most fans are every year, I guess. But, um, you know, I think the offseason moves that were made are certainly going to help. But, you know, it's uh, our curse to play in the same division as the Astros. And that is uh, not going away soon. So they're just... Right now, you know, we finished 16 games behind them in the regular season last year. And then in the playoffs, they've swept us in three games, but the run differential was four. I mean, they won by four runs for exactly. the entire series. So oh. it was that close to being, you know, we played them tougher than anybody else did. But you still got to, you know, it still goes through Houston in the West. So, you know, it's not really uh, something where I don't know that we've made an appreciable enough game. With regard to personnel in the off season to catch them, but you know that's why they play 162 games. Exactly, it all it all, uh, it all gets sorted out in the mix by the end of the season, and a lot of strange things happen in a baseball season.
1: So. Yeah, and health health's is mm-hmm. a big thing, and especially with the Mariners, it's it seems like there's a lot of emphasis on growth with the with the with the uh, younger players right. on the team.
0: Yeah, and I can't remember the last time we had a pitching staff going into spring training that's this
2: solid right the pitching staff I think is huge I think it's one of the top maybe four rotations in the league if not even better and have that all sorted out before you even go into this season uh with the exception of maybe the number five guy I mean god bless Marco I don't know you know he was an ace number one starting day opening day (laughs) pitcher for a few years two years three years ago and all of a sudden you know, he's on the, in the fifth guy in the rotation yeah. and kind of trying to hang on to his spot there. Exactly. So, uh, that, I guess, tells you about the quality upgrade they've made. Uh, and, you know, you've got guys like Flexen who has started. And then, you know, does uh, Brash come back into starting? Or, and, you know, so there's a few things to be decided there. But certainly those top four are really, really good.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know what's a shame about how good of pitchers we are? You get to say their name, like, what, once, yeah. once, once a game?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Open one the now, and, and yeah, opening lineups, and then when they start the games.
1: So. I know, <laughs> I know. It's, you don't get to say uh, Luis Castillo yeah. too many times because no. so, that seems like that would be a fun one to yeah, announce for sure. Um, so obviously, you were there for the 18 inning game. How mm-hmm. did how did how did how did that how that feel uh, up there? Where was your energy level? How was
2: the voice? It was. Uh, you know, if it had been a regular season game against Cleveland on a Wednesday night, it <laughs> probably would have been a little different energy level. Um, I get up at four a.m. to go to work for a radio station, KNWN Northwest Radio News Radio here in Seattle, and so that would have been hanging over my head the entire time. <laughs> like, oh my God, I got to get up in five hours. So, uh, uh, but it was so intense and so nail biting, and because you, know, you knew that one swing of the bat could potentially end it and and uh, eventually it did but uh, it it was like who you know how can they continue to throw up zeros with two teams like this that have so many offensive weapons especially Houston and um, we were just counting on you know getting that you know in the bottom of an inning coming up and somebody getting a home run or at least getting some guys on base and moving them over and getting them in so uh Every inning that went along, I was supposed to have gone to see a buddy of mine's band play that night at <laughs> seven o'clock. The Husky game came and went during the yep, during that. Yeah, sure did. And then I'm a Cougar fan, so I watched it at the start of the Cougar game. Going, I wanted to be home to watch this and then go to my buddy's band. I was like, that would should have been, you know, done by five o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and it just went on and on and on and on and on. It was uh, just kind of at the end of it, we all were kind of like just. Um, Emotionally dry yes. because it was so emotionally involved throughout the game that when it finally ended, it was like you know that that didn't turn out the way we wanted. It was an amazing game, uh, but you know it was one of those things where you just felt like everybody was so emotionally involved with it, including the fans who stuck oh, around. Yes. Which was
1: it was emotional. It was just emotionally draining. It felt. More like an event, like a football mm-hmm. game with the crowd. Everybody was on it every inning. You know, people were, the libations were going before the game. Last call happens, you know, Seven, at yeah, <laughs> seventh like inning. And, 11 but,
2: innings without beer. Oh, yeah, <laughs>
1: it was. And CJ, who does this show, is not here. He's down in Arizona right now. He's a snowbird. But he had tickets to the cracking game that night. Stayed until the end. Ran down to the... Uh, ferry docks and caught one of those scooters and scootered Uh-oh. up for the second half of the game i've never mentioned that on the podcast that so that's i think i think that is a savage story no of, of, of fandom, fandom here yeah. uh also i you guys had some guests up there in the booth that night i noticed macklemore came in there at one point and, yeah. and and tried to pump up the crowd
2: yeah yeah it's uh we're we're throwing everything we could at it and uh he couldn't quite get the job done, but he, he's, <laughs> been, he's been very involved in, and a big fan. Oh, absolutely. Fan, so it's absolutely. been really cool to have him
1: around. Asked him the hard-hitting, hard-copy question. Hey, Macklemore, what do you think about Louie uh, Louie being uh, no more and your song being in there? And I didn't think he would answer me. We have it on our, our Instagram, but hard-hitting question. What do you think about it, Tom? Uh,
2: I never liked Louie Louie. <laughs> <laughs> so I was fine with it um, I, I mean, I just, you know, grew up That song had already been a hit Before I was in my teens, I think But um, but I just was never a fan of that song And I kind of wondered, why do we play this? But... Uh, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I was fine with the Macklemore change.
1: Yeah, he, he asked me, he goes, do we make the playoffs? Yeah. And I said, yeah. He goes, did we make the playoffs? And he goes, well, there's your yeah, answer. There's and your I answer. said, well, you changed my mind. <laughs> because, you know, obviously I've been a Macklemore fan. I, I'm from that age group. But I do like certain traditions mm-hmm. in baseball yeah. and certain traditions in sports. And that was kind of our sweet Caroline. Would, right. But I do have to admit, it gets the crowd amped up, and especially on a night like that, mm-hmm. you need that level in the crowd.
2: Yeah, and I and I and I'm a very much as anybody that knows me will tell you, I'm a very traditional, old school guy. But that one I didn't mind because it didn't seem that traditional to me, even though it had been around for a long, long time. Uh, in a seventh inning stretch, I just thought, I, you know, that's not that'd be, for me, you know, cutting out the seventh inning stretch or taking out of the ball game. That would be the, you know, the blasphemy. Yeah, not the loss of louis louis so um
1: and he's a guy who reps the city hard like kingsman you have to go and google oh yeah somebody was from seattle or some. it's like macklemore is wearing a seahawks hat a sonics coat Mm -hmm. mariners shoes huskies warm-up pants you know what you know what he's all about yeah
2: so yeah and it's definitely a, a different energy level than louis louis was.
1: for a lot of our listeners i have some people are on the East Coast, some people are in California, some people haven't been lucky enough to make it to a Mariners game. You know, I meet people too, you know, going to road games and stuff that they're like, Oh, I got to get up there someday. So they don't know a lot about you. They haven't had the pleasure of, of you know, hearing God's voice, uh-huh. the God of the Mariners voice. So let's just take it back and uh, let's just go back to your early beginnings of like, how you got to hear.
2: Um, well, I, I've been in the radio business since I was a a senior in high school over in Spokane and I was in the top 40 radio business and um, matriculated from a station called KJRB to KJR which at the time were AM top 40 giants but kind of on the downward slope of AM radio, of AM top 40 radio and um, so after about a year and a half at KJR I went to the part of the genesis of, of KUBE I was on the uh, first staff there i was the music director wow and um charlie brown was our morning guy yep. and our,
1: all these guys <laughs>
2: and our uh, and our program director so we were literally putting that thing together you know dubbing albums onto tapes uh you know we have we are cartridges that we played from at the time and so it was really fun putting that together and after i'd done that for a few years uh i started i had always been a mariner fan and i would always go to games and then uh they had a uh, guy that had been doing the PA for quite some time named Gary Spinell and he got for whatever reason I can't recall exactly why but he had to miss a few games and asked if I would fill in just because I knew a couple of guys in their marketing department and so I filled in a couple games and that was fun and that was where I thought it would end and he ended up getting a job in Atlanta with CNN and so then they asked me if I'd like to take over permanently and so I started in 87 uh, as the the guy doing the PA most games every game and uh so 30 so well it'll be 37 years this year so people ask how long you want to do it and I always say well I'd like to do it till we win a world series but Dave Niehaus wanted the same thing and it didn't work out so well for him on, on that regard so I'm hoping that I have the longevity to be able to do that and I wish Dave could have been around for even this past year he would have he would have Gone nuts! Oh uh, man, absolutely exciting absolutely. finishes this last year. Or so, but uh, yeah, so that that's kind of the the story in a nutshell.
1: Well, we need you longer than the World Series because we're going to win it this year. We need <laughs> you, we need you for more. Because once we win it this year, we're going to be like we'll be blaming you if you if <laughs> if, if we don't. If in in your radio early radio days before you went to do news, you. Obviously, we're at Cube, which is a staple of ours. And uh, let's not forget KPLZ, which I always called the VH1 of of Seattle. (laughs) Uh, But you did a lot of uh, parody Mm -hmm. uh, songs. Um, I know off the top of my head, you did the Raider, Busters. uh, You did uh, The Greatest Lunch of All. (laughs) See, you've done your homework. Yeah, uh, well, I remember some. I recorded some of these when I was a young kid, and and I've done a little bit of homework. Okay, I did my homework. Nobody believes I ever do my homework. I did it. (laughs) Tom Hutler said it right here. Um, uh, You also did, recently, you did the Gardner Menchu, the mustache. Oh, yeah, Mississippi mustache, And, uh, of course, La Bosworth to Uh, La Bumba. Yeah. So, I know (laughs) you can get these on YouTube. I'll probably put these uh, somewhere on the episode. When you write these things, you always... There's one little hook that you grab on to go. All right, that that's it. That's how we build off of that. Could you just let us into your mind on like maybe the Bosworth or the greatest lunch of all?
2: Yeah. Um, The the greatest lunch of all was actually inspired by my daughter, who was very young at the time of that came out, and she thought instead of uh, Whitney Houston saying they can't they can something something and that they can't take away my dignity. But she was thinking, they said, I can't take away my BLT.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I thought, that's kind of funny. And then I, that was what built, that's what spawned that for me was building around then. I said, we greatest lunch of Lunchable. Uh, there's another one uh, that you didn't mention that was probably the biggest that I did. It was called We Love It in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Which was at a tune of We Didn't Start the Fire. And that was actually at the request of my boss at Cube, who was uh, huge into Seattle history. And I only came to Seattle in 1979. So a lot of the things he wanted to incorporate, you know, if you're familiar with the Billy Joel song, it's kind of a little history lesson. And so a lot of the things that he wanted me to include in this song were people or events that I really wasn't familiar with. So there's got you know, Dick Balsh, and he was a car dealer. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that was happening through those years in Seattle, I had to kind of bone up on that to make sure I knew and included it and included it in context and then trying to make it all rhyme um, that was a tough that's to the hardest part right? yeah so um, that one La Bosworth yeah I just I, I heard La Bamba, and then he was all the rage right then when he came to Seattle and was fighting over the oh, jersey yeah. number and,
1: and I um, had a Bosworth haircut <laughs> did you really yeah my dad hated it not how it looked <laughs> but how much he had to pay for it <laughs>
2: Raider Buster. When things get tough for old Chuck Knox, who's he going to call?
1: Raider Busters!
2: Because the Raiders are coming to play the Hawks. Who should he call? Raider Busters! Well, they ain't afraid to no know Raiders.
1: You also have a background in uh, coaching, mm-hmm. baseball. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I coached, uh, I coached CYO, you know, Catholic youth organization for a long time with my daughters through basketball and soccer, and then uh, my son playing baseball, and then uh, I got asked one year to coach the freshman team at O'Day, and I did that for a year, and then my kids were going to Seattle, my daughter were going to Seattle Prep, and the coach at Seattle Prep saw me coaching against, against Seattle Prep's uh, freshman team. Uh, for O'Day, and he says, "Doesn't your daughter go to prep?" And I go, "Yeah." And he <laughs> said, "Why don't you coach for us?" I said, "Well, you didn't ask me."
1: Tampering—that's tampering, so, right there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I started at prep and was there for 13 years, either either the head JV coach or varsity assistant or both.
1: What years were you there?
2: You know, I don't even—I I think I uh, must have started in 2000. Um, right around 2000, probably oh, to, so you to about 2013. Just missed me and Hannah.
1: Yeah, you, you're lucky. Yeah, <laughs> there, we <go. laughs> there we go. Uh But I think it would be cool if you're a coach, just going, "Hey, all right, here's the starting lineup." Do you, <laughs> did you ever have to read the lineup off? And did you put a little? Put a little elbow um, grip. Yeah, did you put a little ump, Put a little spice on it?
2: Uh, no, I just was, you know, worried about getting all the stuff ready for the game as as a coach. You know, making sure we, you know, got out there and hit the fungos and ran through infield and outfield practice and got the lineups and gave them to the umpire. And you know, that was it's, coaching baseball in Seattle is a pretty thankless task. At this, you know, if I'm looking out yeah. the window right now, I've seen it rain.
1: A lot of practices in the gym.
2: Yeah, so it's like, man, you're sitting down at third base, shivering and thinking, <laughs> if, they, if they call this game off, I'm not going to be. Uh, upset at all. <laughs> yeah. so um, Thank God high school's yeah. only seven innings. Yeah, yeah. so, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And I also ended up coaching girls um, basketball at prep, too, so that was, I really enjoyed that a lot, because with the girls, uh, you know, Seattle prep at that time was going through a run of really, really good boys teams that won, won a couple state championships during that time. The girls were also very competitive as well, but I just enjoyed it from the aspect that it was they had to play fundamentally sound. They couldn't jump out of the gym and they couldn't slam dunk and they couldn't, you know, uh, rifle the ball, you know, all the way down the court on a, on a pass. And so they were really uh, eager to, to learn the fundamentals. And It was fun to teach them that stuff too. That was a lot of fun. I have a little project. Well, once again, Edgar Martinez is using Eagle Hardware's incredible selection of brand name power tools for its latest project.
0: And uh, here's a surprise. Uh, for once, it's not a bat. Oh, it is a bat. It's a light bat. Eagle Hardware and Garden. More of everything.
1: Uh, Hanno, you got, you got some questions? I know you got a bunch of questions. You're really excited about this. Let's, let's hear them.
0: Yeah, so did you have anybody influence you in, in your style? I know you got a distinctive style when you announce the names. You know, you got your energy towards the Mariners. And then how your tone changes when it goes... Now the visiting team, uh, managed right. by yes. manager Dusty Baker. You know, it's it's really. I, I'm
2: interested by that
1: it. somber voice. Is, yeah. is definitely underrated.
2: Yeah, I uh, I don't know that anybody really influenced me other than perhaps Bob Shepard from the Yankees, who was, and I don't really, I don't, I never really tried to replicate what he did, but he, to me, uh, had this incredible gravitas and this incredible presence. Um, as the Yankees guy, but he was so simple. It was like you know, it was just there was no bells and whistles. It was just basically the a uh, number twenty-two. You know, da da da.
1: Derek Jeter. Derek
2: Jeter, number twenty-two. You know, so so good. Uh, it, it, so I always thought that would be the guy I would want to pattern myself after. Um, but yeah, you're right about the thing. I, I don't was never asked to do this or instructed to do this. But when it comes to the Okay. The energy that I put into the home team and then the somber way that I announced the visiting team, I just felt that was the way to do it just because you don't want to act like you're excited to hear those no. guys are here. But you're and still professional. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the other thing too is that we got a guy that comes back that played for us the first time or two up, I'll say his in a little more uh, welcoming manner than I will the rest of their team. So if like, you know, when we had Raul Abania's back, I would, Say his name as I announced it when he was with the Mariners, or something like that. But uh, you know, sometimes these guys come back. Or like Nelson Cruz, or they're fan favorites. How about
1: stuff. Ichiro? I mean, he went yeah. from one dugout to the other the yeah. next day. So yeah. did you have to just yeah, drop toned, your act and pick I, up the new one?
2: I toned it down a little bit, but you know, for the first times that the first times that he was up, I definitely kept the energy level up. Not to the degree it would if he had been still with the Mariners, but still definitely. You know, if the Mariners, if the way I announced him with the Mariners was a level eight, I probably did a level six for him <laughs> when, when he was uh, coming up as a Yankee and stuff. So,
0: well, the Mariners do such a great job. You know, with opening day, I love how they now they've incorporated the Mariners Hall of Fame. It's so special to me, like this last year when Ichiro was um, placed in the Mariner Hall of Fame, and for me to hear, you know, you mentioned. Your iconic here griffey jr you know jamie Moore, and of course like you just mentioned raul Ibanez wasn't involved but he was off to the side and to hear you announce their names it mm-hmm.
2: it brings back a lot of memories oh, for yeah. mariner fans yeah yeah uh the griffey is you know people run into me and all you know, this you know they'll find out what i do and they say oh can you do ken griffey jr <laughs> it's like i want there was one time i came out of a i'd been in a a Watering hole in West Seattle, watching some some game, and somebody and, and this guy had been overserved, and I came out I came out of the restaurant. and He goes, "You're the you're the Mariner guy." I go, "Yeah." and He goes, "Could you do Ken Griffey Jr.?" And I said, "Okay." So I did it, and he goes, "You're a great man."
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> uh, speaking of Griffey, I, I did hear on one of the podcasts, uh, I believe it was the the Soul. The Soul Man. Spot. Well, Seattle. Oh, sorry. It's the Seattle uh, uh, Sports Union. Yeah. Uh, you talked about. I think they asked you. Was there a time where it was hard to hold back emotions? I mean, us as fans, we get to be wild. We can let it loose. Uh, you were you were mentioning when Griffey came back. I couldn't remember if it was when he came back as the Reds the or Reds. when he came back as the Mariners. Where it it was, you were feeling it. You had yeah. the feelings.
2: Yeah, it was, and I and I. Was in the clubhouse before the game, in the Reds clubhouse, and I just said, "You know, I'm not going to really be able to give you the whole Ken Griffey Jr. treatment this time." Because I, oh, awesome. I know, I <laughs> know. I said, "I mean, you know, we all love you, but you're now the enemy." So, uh, <laughs> but it was—I, uh, I still kind of—the first time out, I said, "I just got to do it like I do it all." You know, did it yeah. all the years he was with. Him. I had to do it. So uh, then it was like kind of gradually dial it back and he ended up having a great series oh he
1: did now here's
2: Lenny Randall when the Mariners beat the
0: Red Sox hitting baseballs Woo! out of sight mm-hmm. every kid who's 14 and under we wanna come come to Jacket now. get a free jacket yeah. get a free jacket yeah. Get a free
1: jacket. It. Get a free jacket. Yeah. The ninja's here. He's part of part of our staff while we're here. You had a question for him that you asked me to ask, but I want you to ask it. Oh, it was-
0: oh I just wanted to hear any like uh, good stories about Dave Niehaus. Mm.
2: You know, if you have any like stories you could bring up, yeah share with the crowd. Well, first of all, he was he was as good as it gets and um, was very gracious to me. And, you know, he suffered just as much as the fans did. Uh, You know, it was... We could tell. It it was apparent. I I was talking to this, saying this to somebody the other day about Rick Riz is perennially upbeat, optimistic. Yep. The sun will come up tomorrow, if not like (laughs) in in an hour. And so, (laughs) and, you know, so Rick is so, you know, very, very optimistic. And Dave would let it kind of he you know, he he kinda of wears his emotions on his sleeve during a game. It's like, you know, if somebody made a mistake or gave up a you know, basis loaded walk or failed to get a bunt down, you know, you could hear it in his voice. He wasn't sugarcoating it. And um, but he was he was so good at making a game that was a blowout loss <laughs> sound like it was the most important game in the world, just the way he would talk about maybe the fact that they'd gone to the You know, World War Two museum, or some some something that was in the city they were visiting, or even just down in Arizona during spring training about something they did during the day. He was just so good at weaving stories and making them, you know, part of the game, even though they weren't part of the game. It was more of a way to just keep the listener interested, and I I think there's an art to that that, you know, a lot of the guys today don't have um, that that certain. Uh, flair for that.
1: And the storytelling is, now it's a lot of a lot of numbers, a lot yeah. of analytics.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, some of the stories I probably wouldn't be able to tell. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and get away with it. But, um, uh, he, he definitely was colorful. He was definitely, um, uh, you know, just a great family guy, his wife Marilyn and their kids. And, um, Marilyn and I are Facebook friends, so she'll always make a comment on like my grandkids or something like that. But um, when he <clears throat> when he passed, it would hit me really, really hard. Yeah, and I Kevin Kremen, know. who's the longtime producer and engineer for the broadcasts, you know, he was with Dave through the whole the whole shooting match, and um, it was tough for guys like Dave, like Kevin, who you know, they were like partners, business partners. Um, that became like their second family for all those guys, and so, and Dave was, you know, uh, so well respected in the business by other um, broadcasters and other teams. So you could tell that he had, even though he was working in a smaller market, that he was definitely big league all the way. By the way, he, you could see him treated. I in I think it was two thousand two through two thousand six. I was at Como Radio, and we had the broadcast rights for those four four or six years. And so I had to go down to spring training and cover the team during spring training, which was great. But I'd get to sit in the booth with him because I wasn't doing the public address announcing there. So I'd get to sit in the booth with him during the game, and then once the starting pitcher got uh, taken out, I'd go to the clubhouse and get some audio with them. Um, But, uh, you know, it would be guys coming in and that were not even on the roster and numerically, and it's like guys coming in to pitch and they're like, oh, they got you know 72, now John Jones coming in, and he t- turned the mic off and he goes, who the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, what the fans he, are doing at home. Yeah, yeah, and he didn't you know, he's like... Definitely had
1: some Harry Doyle from uh, yeah, Major League for sure. in, in him. Yeah,
2: yeah, so yeah, he is a great... I am I miss him every every year, and, and he does that... Uh, Welcome back, baseball poem that he reads at the beginning of every year, and I tear up every year at that.
1: That is, yeah.
0: I, I know. I was going to ask you about that. I know um, at the beginning of every year. Also, the Mariners do a great job have a young child come out from Make a Wish and run the bases. That must be one of the more heart-wrenching things yeah. that you have to talk about. But it's so special and so cool. What yeah, the it is.
2: Do. It is really cool. And the first year they did it, um, I didn't know that we we're going to continue to do it every year. I thought it was maybe just part of the opening. Of that of that particular season since it was the first season and I'm so glad they've kept it in and it's it's uh, you know been really cool uh, when when we had you know Jay and and Dan and junior and those guys would you know come out of the dugout to wait for the kid coming home and yeah I mean that just super emotional super uh, you know just a, a great feeling and Again, you know, you're right. The Mariners do a great job of producing these games and putting the, the pregame stuff together and the in-game stuff together. They've won awards that they give out. There's an award they give out, kind of like a you know a Grammy or an Emmy, and they do it and for for game presentation and sports franchises. And the Mariners uh, perpetually win those awards. The World Series, where a pitch is not just a pitch; it's a World Series pitch where a hit is not just a hit, it's a World Series hit. A win is not just a win, it's a World Series win. Now you've got a chance to win a trip to the 1984 World Series by entering Major League Baseball's Grand Slam sweepstakes at all Major League ballparks and participating retailers.
0: Baseball favor, catch it! The preceding message was furnished by Major League Baseball.
2: Two, two quick stories. I, uh, I don't know if your homework... Revealed this, but I actually called, I actually did play by play for two games
1: back Oh, in I did not get that.
2: Back, I can't, it was in the Kingdom, and um, they, Randy Adamack, who just retired as their longtime uh, vice president of marketing uh, and communications, asked me one time, Would you want to fill in? Dave's taking the day off, and would you want to do the game? And I, I did it with uh, Ken Levine.
1: Oh yeah, Ken Levine, Hermann.
2: and uh, and I said, yeah, that'd be great. But then <laughs> I was like, oh my god, what have I done? I'm so nervous. <laughs> yeah. I was like, not only am I doing a major league baseball game, but I'm doing it with in place of Dave Niehaus for the day. And it turned out we were playing Cleveland, and Charlie Nagy of the of the uh, Indians had a no hitter going through like five innings. And uh, Kremen, Kevin Kremen, goes, that was his Dave. He said, if he goes one more inning. He's coming in from his barbecue to come in and call the end of the game because he doesn't want to miss calling a no hitter. I said, "He's that's fine." So he ended up giving up the no hitter and then uh, filled it another time and worked with Dave. And so that was just amazing, you know, to hear him say, and "Now you're for the third inning, you're Stahl Mutler." I'm going.
1: Yeah, <laughs> See, it was
2: just uh, just a humbling experience and very, very—I mean, very memorable for me. I mean, I finally got around to listening to the air checks of that. Um, uh, last summer, because I, uh, I had told somebody about it, and they go, "No, you didn't." I said, "Yeah, I did. I, I'll find the tape. I'll prove it to you." So <laughs> yeah, um, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I don't think I did bad, but you know, um, it was uh, it was really fun. And um, the other quick Dave story I was going to mention was that uh, when I was with Como and we had the broadcast rights, we were. Uh, depending on who was doing the post-game show, it was either me or Tom Glasgow at the time, who does a lot of the stuff for Root Sports now. But they would kick it back to us in the studio for a sports update from other sports at the end of the eighth inning, I think it was. And so, um, the uh, Kevin Kremen would hand a card, you know, he you hand a card for any little, any little reads that Dave was doing, or Rick, or anybody. A card that would say, you know, it was like a, a plug for whatever one of the sponsors was. But this particular card he would hand to Dave and it would say, and now let's go back to our flagship station, KOMO, for an update with Tom Hutler." So that's the only reason we can think that this happened. But when it did happen, um, he came back from the break and I can't remember the Angels pitcher. Scott Shields, Steve Shields, Scott Shields, Scott Shields, Scott Shields. he goes, well, all right, we're back. It's now Scott Shields is here to face Tom Utler, And
1: <laughs>
2: and he goes, boy, he'd like to face Tom Nice, <laughs> yeah. But I just thought, what the heck? So, I, Kreven said, the only thing I can think of is that he just said senior name on that card. And it was just in his mind when he went back to call the game. But I thought, I've had that on tape somewhere. And now it, it, we had a big crash of our system that had all of our audio in it. So I, it's no more. It is no more, unless you know Kevin knew what particular game it was, which wouldn't surprise me. But uh, that was yeah. Tom Butler got the bat in the big leagues. Dave Niehaus said it. There it <laughs> was. That,
1: that is great. Hanno had a question about basically like what's your setup? What's your day to day like pregame? What's what's that like, right, Hanno?
0: Yeah, like I mean, you got a Friday night seven o five start against the Rangers. T- tell us how your day goes before an opening pitch.
2: Well, you know, uh, a lot of people think that I have to get there really, really early, and I, I, I don't. I mean, the only thing is in the first game of a series, I will sometimes go in just to get to the uh, uh, opponent's broadcast team to find out for sure how names are pronounced because sometimes they'll have things written out phonetically. They have a pronunciation guide for all the big league names, but sometimes those don't do it justice or sometimes I would ask the player directly um, just because I wanted to get it right for them and so uh, I'd get there a little early to go over that with them now most of the teams are doing a really cool thing it's a great service for us for the PA announcers and broadcasters is that they actually ask anybody that's got a name that's you know even modestly confusing or uncertain they'll ask them to just say their name into a microphone and then they have that Accessible to us with a you know click of a mouse. How's this guy say his name? So when you're out, he says it. Doesn't necessarily how match up with the way that you're, you know the public relations department said that you're uh, that they're pronounced. So, um, but basically for a seven ten start, we usually start our pregame about six forty for a game that's a seven ten. So about a half hour before the first pitch, we start. If there's a special night like uh, you know the Hall of Fame nights or. Um, you know, Salute to Native American Baseball or uh, one of those nights where you have a little more involved pregame show, then we'll start earlier, but I get there generally if we have a media meal that we can have, so generally I'd maybe get there around 6, go have a quick dinner at 6.15, get up to the booth and, you know, go over anything that needs to go over. If there's a certain presentation being done or a new feature being done, they want me to You know, view that and go over it to hit, you know, timing and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but it's pretty low key for me. Uh, All the guys that are up there, there's a, it's like a huge production. There's, you know, cameras and uh, the people that do all the stats and the people that uh, input all the information that goes up on the Mariners' Vision screen with regard to stats and, Upcoming games and injuries and all that kind of thing. So, those guys really get there quite a bit earlier.
1: So, you got to get there early if they're doing the pop fly challenge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pop fly <laughs> with a catch. Yeah. That is fun. I actually love it, love the work with that, the, yeah. the whole pop fly challenge thing.
2: Well, that's another thing where it was kind of a Harry Doyle moment for me because,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, we've well, got a Kid out there, it's like six years old. He's like, This guy's dad never played catch with him. You can tell this guy's got no shot. And, yeah. and uh, one time, you know, it's like, Oh, God, nice try, Timmy. Here's pop line number three. And then I turn the mic off and said, This a, a couch has a better chance yeah. of catching that than Especially those.
1: in the kingdom, yeah. right? Like, yeah. how many even um, take that a kid who isn't playing catch with his dad, and then you throw him in, in there yeah. with that roof. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So.
1: Like, make sure you signed a waiver, right? Exactly.
0: (laughs) NBC Sports presents. The 1979 All-Star Game from Seattle's Kingdome. It's the All-Stars of the National League versus the best of the American League. The 1979 All-Star Game is brought to you by Chrysler Corporation. See the mileage makers at your Dodge or Chrysler Plymouth dealers. And by the newest member of Gillette's All-Star Team, Foamy Tropical Coconut Shave Cream. Every shave is like a trip to the tropics. And by the Miller Brewing Company, Brewers of Miller High Life. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. And by Polaroid, makers of the SX-70 Sonar, the world's smartest camera.
1: We were also uh talking you know about the kingdom obviously you've been around since the kingdom days Mm -hmm. and uh hanson and i consider ourselves dome rats that's actually what we were going to call this podcast when we first did this uh but i really like to hold on to the culture of the kingdom uh do you have any of your favorite stories from the kingdom or
2: well i mean there was a time we had an earthquake and everything started swaying and move. You know, I could feel our our box was our booth was cantilevered out over um, the stands below us, and you could feel this swaying. It's like what happened There's an earthquake, and so we they were gonna evacuate the building. So I was like getting up to go and leave. They go, no, you can't go. You gotta do, You gotta read these safety things it's like what do you think they're going to do right? they know to get the hell out right? so
1: <laughs> do we need to tell them that there's smoking's only on the exterior ramps yeah, yeah no signs of affection
2: yeah yeah. I don't think we're worried about that right now um, and Dave Dave came shooting past he signed off and was yeah I'm getting the hell out of here so I'm going wait I'm the only one here and they're like they're leaving and they know they need to leave and get out in an orderly fashion you know And so uh, that was interesting and uh, obviously, you know the '95 season was just a, a I mean, continual.
1: People don't understand how crazy that was. That,
2: yeah, it just continued to get like more odds-defying as the season went on.
1: And um, I mean, was your what, during '95, especially Game Five, maybe Game Four? When that's when Edgar hit the Grand Slam. I mean, I remember Buck Showalter when he was. Managing the, the Yankees. And that's what's so interesting about that game, too, is how many people are future Hall of Famers or, mm-hmm. and p- p- potential Hall of Famers, all-stars were on both of those lineups. But how loud and, and you could feel the shake. I know people talk about the beast quake with Marshawn yeah. Lynch, but that was something else. I mean, I was there game five. My, I, I skipped school. Yeah. I was in my freshman year. and I skipped school, I believe.
2: The double was so... You know, it's so etched in my mind. And the thing that I remember most about it is that Junior, I'd never seen him run that fast. Nah, I yeah. looked at the ball and I looked up to see where he was, and I thought he'd be right, right around second base. And he was already close to third, and was just flying. I mean, just absolutely flying. And as um, the more you know, you're kind of looking at sizing up in your little mental computer of like, is he going to make it? And it's like he's going to make it. And, uh, and then when he slid home and everybody went nuts, it was just like, we, there was the guy that works with me in the booth who still works with the Mariners today, Greg Green, he's the vice president of marketing. Um, but we like just did this little mini pig pile in the in the booth area. And, Cause you know, there was nothing I needed to say yeah. for several minutes because it would just let let the crowd do this. And um, it was so fun. And you know, and then you, Fast forward to this year when Cal Raleigh hit that walk-up. I think that was the only thing that could ever have competed yeah, with that it. double. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the Kingdom days, they had a lot of um, great memories for me. But also, you know, when you'd go in there on a Sunday afternoon, it was 80 degrees outside, and they were playing We Were in Last Place, and we're taking on Cleveland, who was in last place, and there's maybe going to be 3,000 people there. It's like, I don't even need the mic. I'll just lean out the window. <laughs> and... Um, it was like uh, I don't, I don't, I'd rather go anywhere than go into this building right now because it's gray and it's dank and dark and doesn't <laughs> doesn't feel like real baseball. Um, but uh, it had some incredible memories for sure. And I, but I always, uh, I, I always said if we ever have a chance to get an outdoor ballpark. I will never close the window. I don't care how cold it gets. <laughs> um, I would do anything to have that baseball outdoors where it's supposed to be played because in, 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 inside it felt more like it was a kind of a studio show. You yeah, know? it's, it's like, kind of like
1: we're on a green, you're watching a game on a green screen, right? right with that right. Turf.
2: So the the memories are you know you know it, it was at, at that point in those days I was a lot closer with a lot of the players than I am now. I don't really know any of the guys anymore because I don't have the reason to go down because I don't have to, you know, cover it for Como. and um, so. But back in those days, I was you know, did, getting some uh, radio stuff because I was also doing sports on KBI. So I knew all those guys, and uh, they were great. I mean, those guys, Jay and e- Edgar and Harold Reynolds, got to be really, really, really good friends with Mark Langston. He and his Really? Yeah, he's actually God, Godfather of my son. Oh, and um, so that was tough when they beat the Angels, and he was you know sitting there at home plate, you know after that failed throw home, at a
0: Lu- Luis Soho broken Luis back Luis Soho,
2: yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's my buddy, but <laughs> I don't care right now. <laughs> but uh, it was really that was part of the of the romance of the kingdom for me was the fact that I, I knew a lot of these guys and. And got to go down, like, you know, Scotty Bradley was a catcher back then. And yep. Mm-hmm. He would, like, call. He goes, hey, what are you doing? And I go, I'm just hanging around. He goes, "We, you want to come down and uh, field throws at second base? He he, Scott worked his butt off and never got. I,
1: Caught Randy Johnson's no-hitter. Yeah.
2: He he never got, I think, the at-bats that I think he deserved because he was a good left-handed hitting hitter. Yep. But, uh, you know, when he was in the lineup, he produced. But anyway, so he, yeah, he one day he wanted me to come down and play, you know, go down and catch throws at second base. Well, he, you know, would throw down just to work on his throwing at second. I said, you know, I'm left-handed. He goes, it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> so, so he
2: picked me up, went down to the dome. You know, they all had access to the dome a couple other times. It's like, hey, we're going down to watch the guys throw, and they had a, a warehouse right close to there where guys would throw in the off season, like you know, maybe right around now or maybe right after Christmas. And we went down there. Billy Swift and Scott Bankhead and these guys were throwing in this warehouse. And I was just like hearing the pop and watching. You know, I'd stand kind of not right where the batter would be, but maybe a couple feet off, and just watch these pitches come in. And uh, it you know really gave you an appreciation for how good these guys were.
1: Were you there when the tiles uh, fell? Was that a off day?
2: It was. Uh, they were supposed to play Baltimore, I think, and but uh, we got notified it had happened before I had left in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Said, don't come in, it's no game. So, um, I was aware that it had happened, but I wasn't there when, when it happened, so that was good.
1: Yeah, they should have got Atkins roofing on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, I just set you up there, Tom.
2: <laughs> Call Atkins Quality Roofing today.
1: Here's a hard-hitting question. Where were you and what were you thinking when the kingdom was imploded, when it was no more?
2: Uh, I was watching it on TV at home. I, I you know I know I get flack for this, but I was kind of like in the good riddance mode. I, you like, press the button. I would have I would have done it gladly. Um, I just, you know, I mean, it was great for the football. I just felt like it was just not a great baseball venue. And, you know, the fact that it was on turf and yeah. all that kind of stuff, I just thought this, this I'm not going to miss this place at all. And, um, so... so
0: I got one for you. I remember how when they opened up Safeco Field, they had the uh, open house for the fans to go see it. What was it like for you the first time walking in there and seeing your new digs?
2: Oh, it was magic. It was so cool because I came up the elevator and came into our booth, and you turn this little corner, and there is the field. I mean, I think you guys and everybody probably, the first time you went to a ballpark or the first time you went to a different ballpark, that's just a memory that you're never going to forget. And it's just, I think, part of a young boys uh, that everybody goes through if they ever become any kind of a baseball fan at all just remembering seeing that field when you first see it in person and you know being on tv doesn't do it justice but yeah when I watched it for the first time it was like oh my gosh this is going to be so amazing and and uh, I still get that thrill when I walk in now it's just, you know, they do such a great job with the groundskeeping crew and everything. Absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's just manicured beautifully. I mean, yeah. they used to just
1: have have somebody that could rake like six feet of dirt back That's then. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now you need a real garden yeah, crew yeah, out yeah, there.
2: Yeah, to vacuum the field in. <laughs> yeah. yeah so.
1: uh, you know, just closing on the kingdom portion of this. And I was saying, you know, when we kick this portion of the pot off, I just preserving the history, because it is part of the Mariner's history. I know we're making some new history now. And I know that the Mariner's promotional nights, they like to do a lot of you know callbacks to the, the neon hats, the fanny packs, the 90s stuff. I wish they would just have, and let me pitch this to you, Tom. A, just a kingdom night. I know you did the, uh, the Clock Forward night, the clock. Uh, let's turn the clock back. Let's turn the clock to the kingdom. Let's have the old uh, diamond you know, Vision, Diamond Vision it. graphics. One of my favorite things ever was when we would knock a pitcher out and go, "Doom doom 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 doom," hit the road, Jack. Yeah. And he would be like, "Coming into pitch." Yeah, you know, uh, John Wetland. Yeah, John coming <laughs> hit, coming into pitch. Jesse Orozco. And uh, but on the on the screen, it would have this. I don't even call it like 8 bit uh, animation. Yeah. And definitely. it would be the guy, it would be the player going in the dugout, getting kicked in the butt. Oh, I'm sorry, he'd be on the mound, he'd be getting kicked in the butt by the manager. He'd go into the shower, he'd drop the soap, and he'd swirl down the. Uh, <laughs> I know they do awesome stuff now, but I think that'd be fun with the pipe organs. That would be cool, yeah. The sailboat races. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I know that SS Mariners somewhere. And like some billionaire had to buy that thing, and it's over somewhere in Mercer Island, hanging out. Bring that thing back, and uh, also, do you guys do the Rosenbag thing still anymore? No, that was another thing that was. That's something
2: I just did. Kind of thought, you know, Rosenbag boy. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just, I thought I'm going to introduce a Rosenbag
1: boy. (laughs) I love it.
2: What the first few times I did it, I didn't, I didn't know his name, so I just made up a name. So I just say. And now, <laughs> delivering the Rosenbeck to the Knightsbound, here's Skippy. It's like, yeah, so,
1: yeah.
2: Uh, make up a name, and all the guys, you know, in the booth were cracking up. And so, I then I started doing it every yeah. game, and, like, I would literally was asking one of the pe- people down on the field for the pregame show, who's the Rosenberg guy? And so, um, last, I think the pandemic kind of weeded out some of that stuff. Like, I do that, I would always, um, I would always introduce the... Uh, starting battery again before the first pitch and they stopped doing that for the most part unless you know we're like needing to pad a little time or whatever. Um, But yeah, the rosin bag boy was kind of that was fun.
0: So did the pandemic, since you mentioned that, were you even though there was just cardboard fans in the stands, were you still announcing it?
2: Yeah, which which surprised me. But I guess they wanted to make it as close to the for the viewing audience on TV and for the radio audience. They wanted to make it as close to normal as possible to have that sound at the ballpark. So, yeah, it was it was very strange because I didn't, there was no reason to do any of the between innings sponsor stuff because there was nobody really in the ballpark You're not doing the, to benefit it.
1: You're not doing the hydro races. for Right.
2: <laughs> uh, they still did them on TV, but we didn't have to do them there, and we didn't do, you know, we did the seventh inning stretch, but um, there was really no between innings announcements for me. I just would do the batters, and then that was it. And those games, you know, went a lot quicker that way. But because um, you didn't have to wait as long between uh, innings for the commercial breaks because there was not as much going on. Yeah. But it was really
1: weird, though. It, yeah. Yeah, it was really well. I actually paid for one of those. cardboard uh, things? Yeah, they never sent it to me, though. Really? Uh, Ninja, you had another question uh, that you wanted to ask Tom?
0: Oh, we're going into transition time. Uh, I wanted an opinion on, like, uh, the new rules coming of this offseason and, like, um, and a follow-up on possibly, like, what your opinion is on automatic strike zone mm. coming up.
2: Yeah. Uh, I like the new rules from a standpoint of uh, baseball needs to have quicker games. They're just too long. The pitch the pitch clock rule I really like. It's going to take some adjustments for sure by the pitchers and by the batters. Um, and then the other thing that I'm not a fan of is the fact – well, I'm a fan of it in principle – about not being able to throw over to first base more than a couple times. Yeah. Because then, you know, once you've thrown your a lot of times, the, the runner knows he can go. And so, um, you know, that's a little shaky. They're enlarging the bases. People said, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? I said, well, you know, three inches can mean the difference between a successful steal and getting thrown out. And it should, should in theory, encourage more stolen base attempts, which has become kind of a lost art. You know, you know, you used to have guys getting 60, 70, 80 stolen bases. You know, Ricky Henderson getting 100. Now maybe 40 is the tops, you know, that you see usually. So I think it would be fun to get the steal back into the game. And then um, what was the follow-up on the uh, – oh, the automatic balls and strikes. I, I, I don't I, – I mean, I see – the value in it because you know there are missed calls i mean just for example like how julio rodriguez was getting jobs the last year at the beginning of the season by just terrible calls but the old school in me says you know you got to hang on to some of these things and that human element is probably something you don't want to lose yeah
1: i agree and, and
2: i i just think that that i can see it in other parts you know having the replay now available is helpful, but I I wouldn't want to see that happen.
1: 41. Baseball sure has changed, Junior. Yeah, the hexagon replaced the diamond.
2: And can you imagine facing three pitches? Emerson on base. Oh, the base ejector got him snoozing. Why did it all change? All sport the game just got too easy. The unsurpassed taste of all sport. A third more carbs than Gatorade for energy could make the difference. Next yeah, up, your grandson's up. Ken Griffey the four. He connects. It's going. It's going. Watch out, centerboard. Oh! son of got him. He was robbed. All sports body quencher. The game will never be the same.
0: Can you tell us a few of your stories about when you went back to the Hall of Fame and with Griffey and Edgar?
2: Yeah. Um, I'd gone to the Hall of Fame as uh, with a buddy of mine. We, we would do baseball trips every year and we went, to, uh, we went to the new city field that the Mets had and we drove up to Cooperstown and uh, I think we went to the Nationals back there. I went back down and went to a Nationals game. But anyway, uh, went just, you know, as fans that year, and I got to, to got to, uh, a really cool tour of the Hall from one of the, uh, I can't remember what they called them. They had some ambassador or whatever. But I, Jeff Idelson was the uh, president at that point of the Hall of Fame, and I interviewed him on the air for a few things. So I said, yeah, we're coming back. Can you get us a, a nice tour? He goes, oh, yeah, we'll just give you and your buddy, a, you know, we'll have... John take you around, so we got to go down into the uh, vaults where they have, because they rotate stuff in and out. Um, so they have all these drawers that pull out, and there's like you know a Babe Ruth jersey, or there's someone's gloves or spikes or um, you know hat that some like Roger Maris wore or <laughs> whoever. And so it was really cool to see all that on the background. And then uh, so when Griffey was gonna be inducted i talked to jeff Edelson and said hey i know you guys have your you know gary thorne doing it but um if you needed like me to do like the ken griffey jr introduction like i do it at the ballpark all the mariner fans there would go nuts and he said um i don't think we'll i don't know that we want to do anything like that because it might set a precedent but um I think we might want to have you do something like, you know, some sort of a uh, presentation or some sort of a, um, a piece uh, on the Saturday before the Hall of Fame induction. I said, OK, I'd, I'd be happy to do whatever you want me to do. And I didn't know what he was going to have me do. So it turned out they asked uh, if I would go and be interviewed by one of their people uh, about how I got into this and about memories of Griffey. And they were gonna have it at this, I think it's called the Grandstand stage room. It's it's a 200 seat little theater type thing in the Hall of Fame. And I thought, you know, who's gonna come and see me? I mean, I would have see the PA announcer for the Baroners being interviewed by this guy. It's like, there's way more interesting stuff to do than that. So I was thinking there's gonna be like five people in there and two of them are my relatives.
1: So (laughs) uh,
2: I got in there and it was packed. And I was just like, "Whoa, oh. this is so cool!" And um, so the interview was like about an hour, and just asking questions about you know Junior and all that memories of him. And um, so that was just a thrill. And the biggest thrill, though, was after the you know we had we had several mariner people there, and I'd gotten to know a couple of people at the Hall of Fame uh, that were run you know that were helping to put the whole thing together. And when everybody everything was done Sunday night after the uh, inductions, and we were at this bar, I can't. God, I can't never remember the name of the bar there, but it's um we were there and um the gal that was with the Hall of Fame, I think her name was Dorothy, um, she says, Well we need to get you to do a Ken Griffey Jr. uh in, in you know your intro again but we need to do it in, over in the in the hall. So this bar was just down the
1: mm-hmm.
2: alley. I said, Well it's closed and she goes I got a key. <laughs> so about 10 of us marched down the alley into the back entrance of the hall of fame. And after hours went up to where his plaque was hanging and all of us stood in front of there. And then on cue, I said Ken Griffey jr. And, uh, so that was really cool. And then we reenacted it a few years later with Edgar. They asked me that year to kind of host a, um, on field round table, uh, about Edgar with, it was originally gonna be Dan Wilson, Jay Buhner, Rick Griffin, Rick Riz. And I think that was it. And then we're kind of waiting, it was at the ballpark that they have there. I think it's called Legends Field. Um, it was the ballpark there. And so they were, you know, the, they had a bunch of fans there for that. It was packed, the, the side of the place was packed. And um, in, we were kind of waiting in this waiting area in this tunnel. And Junior walks in. I said, "What are you doing here?" He goes, "Oh, they asked if I come out." And I said, "Oh, that's great." So, so I'm walking out onto this field. We're being introduced, and it was me and Jay and Junior and Cami or uh, uh, Dan Wilson and Mo- Moyer was there. And then uh, we all sat down on our stools. And all of a sudden, my camera walks out, and it's like, "This is going to be fun." This is like Cammy, the
1: Expendables; yeah. so they're all popping up. Yeah,
2: and. <laughs> So it was funny because I, I've got pictures of it, but I'm I'm cracking up in these pictures because it's Griffey ripping Cameron about you know having taken over for him mm-hmm. and you know that just they were just giving each other grief in this in this roundtable setting and uh, it just kind of took over the show and they had told me you got to be done by two forty two because we need to turn this over and get this you know the ballpark has to be cleaned out. By that time, so, like, you know, so I'm like looking at my watch, going, Shh, "These guys are going to talk." For
1: <laughs> no, hour. yeah, you don't know and these then, guys well enough. And then
2: Moyer, who is like, uh, you know, wind him up and let him go, and you know, he'll ask him one question, he'll talk about you know, 20 minutes. So I thought, if I ask Moyer a question now, this is done. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be sunk. So anyway, it was really, really fun, and they yeah. decided it went so well that when we came back after that road trip, they had us do a similar thing on the field here at, at mm-hmm. the ballpark. So those are my two experiences there. So it's been really, I mean, such a fun deal to be able to be involved in that Oh, that's in that level at the Hall of Fame. I mean,
1: absolutely. Like, I mean, that that's, I can't even equate to yeah, what you, that felt like to be up there with like, you know, our heroes. And I'm sure you look at mm-hmm. them, I'm sure you're, it's your children's heroes yeah. and just like, I mean, where do you go from there yeah. for me, for me? Well,
0: I was lucky enough to go to the Hall of Fame many years ago when we were back there, and uh, not, not the ceremony wasn't going on, but if you ever get a chance, go back there. Oh, it's yeah. amazing.
2: It's the best. It's absolutely the best. And the first time I went with my buddy, uh, it was a hotel that all the players stay at during the Hall of Fame weekend, Anastasia, and it's this beautiful, old-fashioned, kind of plantation-style building that has this long veranda on the back. And it overlooks the green of this uh, golf course that's out there and uh, we missed it by two days because the players have just cleared out after the we went got there on a Tuesday after the Hall of Fame weekend induction but you could just you know see that these players would be out there on that veranda just sitting there you know uh, telling stories as you know only baseball players can do and uh, it was so fun to see that and stay in that historic building. But the city is so cool. It's so small, and you know, for the Hall of Fame weekend, it like quintuples in size with all the people that are there. Um, But if you're there, just you know, as a middle of the summer type thing, they're still still very busy. But you're right; it's just it's worth seeing. And even if you're not a huge baseball fan, it's worth checking out because there's so much history there, and there's so many fun little shops, and you know. 18 different places where you can get a personalized bat. And you know, uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's a blast.
1: Mr. Buner, will you play pepper
0: with me?
2: I can't, son. It's against the rules.
1: How many times have you heard that? Hi, I'm Ken Griffey Jr. When I'm not running the bases, I'm running for president. Vote for me, and I promise to erase every no pepper sign in America. Mr. Griffey, will you play pepper? Me? Sure, kid. Could you help me out with some swing states? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. at every foot and a pepper game in
2: every
0: backyard.
2: I think Ken Griffey is spending too much time on the field, not enough time on issues like the flat tax. No Pepper? I say yes to Pepper.
0: (laughs) Look, Pepper was outlawed for a reason. It tears up the turf.
2: You know how big this thing was? Look at this. Pepper man, and right under there, Korean War ends.
0: The man don't want you to play Pepper. You gonna listen to the man? If you outlaw Pepper...
2: Only outlaw to play pepper. So where does the candidate stand on real issues, like the flat tax? I mean, if they're so smart in Washington, why don't they have a baseball team? Baseball without pepper is like baseball without baseballs. Hey, anyone can champion pepper
0: it takes a real man to champion the flat tax it's pepper that people want they don't care about the minimum wage the flat tax they want pepper and they want it now pepper to the people
2: man land of the free why can't i play pepper Jefferson should have said life liberty pepper in the pursuit of happiness but it just didn't sound right but that's what they meant to say i know that and where's this moose stand on the flat tax
0: since you watch many games who which ball player would you pay to watch play Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, or do you have one? Um, opposing team or... or yeah, opposing Okay. Um, probably, I mean, of all the people I've seen through the years, I would say it would probably still be... Um, probably Ricky Henderson. I, I just thought, in his prime. Absolutely. Was so fun and so... Uh, scored
1: the most runs, which the whole game is about touching right. the plate, right? Yeah,
2: and hit the most leadoff home runs, and just was a the perfect example of what a leadoff hitter was supposed to be. And uh, you know, he get impacted on base. the game. Yeah, get on base, make the pitcher nervous, steal second, maybe steal third, score on a ground ball. You know, get like you said, getting getting into home plate is what it's all about, and he would get on and you know. You could just see pitchers get nervous when he was on first base, and he would just, and he was so brazen about it. And so, you know, he's cocky. And uh,
1: I love listening to Harold Reynolds talk about Ricky Henderson. Yeah, he, yeah. he does it. He tells the great Ricky Henderson stories all the time. Yeah, yeah. Ricky
0: talking in third person. Yes, yes. oh yes. Ricky's yeah. Yeah.
1: And I go to the Oakland game pretty much every year because I live in Los Angeles. This nice little drive up there. Mm-hmm. It's basically the kingdom if it was a convertible. If you yeah. just like got in a wreck underneath a semi. <laughs> and the, and the lid place, got ripped off.
2: Yeah, that place is not. That's a terrible. place. No,
1: it, it's always interesting, and it and it, I feel bad about when I go to the game. Like going, gosh, I feel so bad because me growing up in the '90s and watching the game, that was the team to beat. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the scariest thing. I, I, when I go in there, it's almost like I know my way around. Like I got on the Millennium Falcon, and I I know where all the compartments are and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. Um,
2: I was down there in the eighty in the eighty nine earthquake series for the, the ball. I was at the game where the earthquake happened, and uh, wow. that was scary because uh, we didn't know what had happened. They knew, you know, people that were from there knew. So you've
1: been in two earthquakes, yeah, at ballparks. That's, yeah, that's true. Wow, I never
2: really think about that, but yeah,
1: but that
2: <laughs> was. Uh, I'd gone out to, to get a beer, and um, I was with uh, three other guys, and I saw that the they had the signs that had the prices on them. Up, up above they were hanging on a chain the signs were hanging on little chains and I saw the signs were swaying and I go can I get three beers and they go we, we can't sell any beer the power is out on our system I said what happened they go it was it was an earthquake so oh. so I went back to my seats and everybody's kind of mumbling and murmuring and not knowing what was going on and not knowing whether they were going to call the game or what all the players were standing out on the field because they didn't want to be in the dugout or in the clubhouse so um, finally they said you know we're gonna send you home and then the power was out because of the earthquake and so we're driving through a very very undesirable neighborhood around the ballpark there in san francisco and um it was a scary ride home and we didn't have cell phones or anything so it's like no way to notify anybody back <laughs> home that we were okay it took about four hours to get back to our hotel and uh that was that was frightening Sounds
0: like you've been to a lot of ballparks. Which is your favorite one to uh, visit?
2: Well, uh, I think the coolest ballpark in my mind is probably um, PNC Park in Pittsburgh. I really like that park. It's not such a huge, monstrous stadium. The right field um, bleachers are kind of only one level, almost like a minor league park. And then they because right behind it's the Allegheny River, and so you got the river shots that you know get hit out of there. Um, and so it looks kind of small, kind of look, kind of looks like an old ballpark would look, you know, like the old, you know, Crosley Fields and uh, Ebbets Field and all those other ballparks like that has that kind of a feel to it. Um, I loved, I grew up a Yankee fan because I was in Spokane. There was no, they were that AAA affiliate of the Dodgers back mm-hmm. then. But I, for some reason, wasn't that big of a Dodger fan, but I grew up a Yankee fan, because I guess it was the first thing I saw when I was watching sports on TV. was like, the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees, Mickey Mantle, and uh, he was kind of at the tail end of his career by the time I got into him. But when I, I got to go to Yankee Stadium in 87, and I was just, you know, awestruck. And Scott Bradley had me come down and into the little cramped clubhouse there, and then we walked out in the outfield to the monuments This is all before the game, and like, you know, I was walking back in and stooped down and picked up some grass from the, just thinking, I mean, all the, this is, you know, the old Yankee Stadium, just thinking about all the, like, Babe Ruth stood out here, and, you know, Joe DiMaggio was there, and it's like, envisioning guys in their, you know, fedoras, smoking cigars in the stands, and the, you know, it was a, (laughs) it was a, you know, dank, smelly building, but it just had so much history, and I thought it was just so cool. There may be no greater thrill in sports than
0: the crack of a bat and the roar of a crowd as a small cowhide-covered ball hurtles a distant fence. It's baseball. Seattle Mariners baseball in the kingdom. And there is no greater enjoyment than being there. The game starts at 7.35 and not a moment before, because, as the Mariners have always said, there will be no game before it's time.
1: One thing I wanted to say was, you know, when I listened to you on uh, Two Strike Banter and Seattle Sports Union, I think everybody should go and listen to those because uh, I thought those were great episodes. I really enjoyed the game that you guys play on uh, with the with the guy from the control. What's his name? I'm sorry, skipping my name that uh, you worked with. Uh,
2: Mark Johnson. Mark
1: Johnson. Yeah. The game where you guys uh,
2: use a name in a in a
1: sentence, in a sentence yeah, yeah. and I had one for you because oh, yeah. I said, "Well, here's one." I go. Listen, this year, the, everybody in my family is excited about going to the All-Star Game, so they asked me to get them each a row of tickets. <laughs> That's so, good. <laughs> I, I That's good. <laughs> yeah, the, the premise of that was
2: <laughs> use so-and-so's name in a sentence. So, you know, the easy example would be like, um, well, one of my favorites was Mark. Mark was better at it than I was, and so he said... Uh, Oh my gosh. What was the name?
1: The Mankavage one?
2: No, it was Pedroia, oh, yeah, Dustin yeah. Pedroya. And so he said, uh, I want to draw, I want to see a picture of my grandmother. But if you can't find one, have Grandpa droya a picture. <laughs>
1: see, that's, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, that's a yeah. whole nother level. I'm, yeah. I'm on the like, the e- if it's a video game, the easy level on those <laughs> ones. So Hanson and I play a game. Of course, we're just, just avid fans of, of the little things that happen in stadiums. We love the walk-up music, which has turned into a, a big thing now. Mm-hmm. But a thing that we we like to play is when I can actually acapella one of the songs, he'll do an impression of you, but he's got to guess whose walk-up music is it. Is uh, it? Oh, so, so here's an example. You ready, Hanno? And he's gonna do he's gonna do the oh. Tom Hutler. You ready? This is what he's the most nervous about. That's why he probably went outside. <laughs> Just like you would do a stage show. He went outside, learned his lines, talked himself to us. So here we go. Who let the dogs out? Who?
0: Who? Who? Who let the dogs out? Who? Shortstop. Alex Rodriguez.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So we were wondering if you'd play with a couple of these. And I'm gonna do some. Easy ones, I'll get. These are deep cuts from. I don't know how much you'd remember. Just a couple. You of know, them. I, I,
2: I probably, probably some more obvious ones, yeah. But I don't. I didn't really pay attention to that that much. And it's like the hydro races. Yeah. Who won the hydro races? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I don't know. I don't watch. So, but um,
1: this one, you'll. I'll start okay. it real easy. All right. <laughs> <Now> <laughs> batting batting. Right fielder <laughs> number nineteen, Jay Buener. <laughs> oh, yes, All right. Ooh yeah! Ooh. what a man! What a man! What a man! <laughs> what a mighty good man! Now adding the catcher,
2: number six, Dan Wilson.
1: <laughs> okay, and then here's my first love, my first Mariner crush. Here it goes. Uh, first baseman number
2: twenty-one, Alvin <laughs> Davis.
1: That was fucking funny, boy. And then here's the extra credit one because I butcher this one every time. Here he goes. it, I've got the power. Oh, yeah.
2: Third baseman. Can't remember his number. 16. Mike Blowers. 16. Mike Blowers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: thank you. Oh, thank you, Tom. Yeah. I, listen, again, uh, The I think the Akron Beacon Journal's got it. I know you're a man of faith. You might get a little, you know, feel weird when you hear this, but the voice of God really, you know, like I told you when I called you, if – they made a movie about me which would go straight to the bargain bin dvd (laughs) you would definitely be the morgan freeman of of that it's so awesome to meet you i know there's uh some things that i want to plug for you that i really like the night before christmas uh i think should be played at christmas parties just like sinatra or bing crosby that you did i really love it i'd love you to do some other things i'd love to see you do like Maybe the PG version of uh, narrating Goodfellas. Uh, Maybe uh, do Vincent Price. Um, I'd love to hear that. But one really cool thing I wanted to uh, put out there was your cameo. You're on Cameo. And some people, you go on Cameo, and you're like, really? Why are they on? I think that is a great idea. In fact, I'm going to do one for my grandma. My grandpa played for the Rainiers, and we finally got all his stats and everything. So I'll be hitting you up for her next birthday uh, present, but uh, so you're doing things on Cameo. What do you what What types of things are you doing? Oh
2: gosh, birthdays, you know, um, just general. Uh, yeah, my son-in-law to be is a huge Mariner fan. He would love to have you, you know, say something to him about, you know, they'll give you a little background information. He goes to, you know, he's been a season ticket holder for 14 years, and um, he's getting married to our daughter in March, and so something like that. So you just you know, come on and say, Hey, Phil, my your your mom, your future mother in law wanted to have me drop you a line and say, uh, that you know, we're glad to have you as a Mariner fan and hope you make it to the ballpark and looks like you're gonna have a wonderful future and they are looking forward to having you in their family and hope to see you out there soon and then if they want me to then I'll like announce his name like he's coming to the plate and um uh, it's pretty easy and it's it's pretty fun. I'm you know it's it's I had heard about Cameo four or five years ago, whatever it was and then uh, I thought that'd be kind of cool to get involved with, and I Absolutely. sent them a sent them a email, and never heard back. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm there's a lot of big name celebrities on there. I thought, yeah, they probably don't, you know, I'm regional at best, and so I could see why they probably wouldn't be interested. And then I got a email from a guy there over the summer asking if I'd want to be involved. I thought, yes, yes, for sure. So it hasn't really. Um, cranked up for me, and I'm I'm guessing that it will be a lot busier once more people find out about it, and and once the season gets closer and closer, um, I've probably only done about 20 of them so far. So um, anyway, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with it's a chance where you can have a person in sports or an athlete or actor or musician or comedian or whatever do a personalized message for you uh, with video for whatever it might be, a bar mitzvah, birthday awesome. party, anniversary. So yeah, it's it's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, I had one given to me from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, <laughs> and it's still it still was like whoa. I you know, and for any Mariners fan, I think uh, this is unsolicited from Tom. This is something that I wanted to bring up. Like the price that it is for for this, it it's insane, and I, I really like it. And listen, it'll cost you less than what a what a player's t-shirt at the store uh, will cost that maybe they'll trade next month. This thing will last forever. Yeah. Right? That's my unsolicited uh, advertisement. <laughs> uh, you're going to be playing here at uh, Murphy's where we're recording. You want to yeah. tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I have. Uh, I, I play music as another kind of like uh, uh, side thing that I've always... I, I didn't start till about seven years ago, so late in life that I... I always like to sing, and I love music. Music's a big, big part of my life. Um, but I started playing and performing with some friends of mine and as a solo guy about seven years ago. So I've played Murphy's here uh, doing a solo thing a couple times, but I have a band that is called High Cheese, a baseball reference there. Love it. And um, we're going to be playing here at Murphy's on March 25th.
1: So. Get down here, yeah. get down here. A lot I've of fun. Watched. What kind of music again that you guys? Uh, play?
2: It's you know a mix of pop and country and Americana, and I write some original stuff too. Right
1: before opening day. Yeah, yeah
2: it's coming. Yeah, it'll be five days those, before. Warming up those pipes. That's so it's right.
1: basically your spring training yeah. right here at Murphy's. Also, want to thank Shelly for having us here at Murphy's. Yeah,
2: yeah she's great. They're great. Mm-hmm. Shelly and Phil, and you know it's great. Uh, you know the oldest Irish bar in, in the city and. Uh, They do a great job here, so it's it's, uh, always fun to come up here.
1: Well, Tom, thank you. Thank you again for being so gracious with your time. I feel like we won some sort of uh, something at an auction where we got to (laughs) sit down and talk to you, you know. So thank you again, and we hope to have you back. Maybe we'll check in with you after the season when, when, you know, you have a little bit more time and – hopefully talking talking you out of retiring because we got that world, <laughs> world series series, yeah. series we well it's
2: been a lot of fun and you guys are really kind and gracious and it's my pleasure
1: and oh for all these youngsters out there where do we catch you on the social medias
2: uh i'm just at uh, t hutler for uh for uh, uh twitter and then uh yeah just facebook i'm tom hutler i don't i you know, I don't really use Instagram much. I should. I know that's kind of the the bigger thing. We're Instagram now, but... friends, Tom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you yeah. gotta get on there. But uh, yeah, that's it.
1: Thank you again, Tom.
2: My pleasure, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening on the Odyssey app or wherever else you're getting this podcast action from. Spotify, especially Apple. If you're on Apple, don't be shy. Say hello. Give us a review. Hit us with that five star review. We love five tool baseball players, don't we, Hanno? Absolutely. But you know what? I like a five-star review even more. So hit us with that five-star review. Check us out on the socials. If you got something that's really, really going on that you need us to know directly, hit us up at the email at ryebreadandmustardpodcast at gmail.com. Hanno, you know what time it is. Charge.